I'm going to take from Exodus chapter 12. And as I mentioned previously, the title being fit, Twilight Becomes You. It actually is a very significant term. We'll talk about it in a few verses. Go to some other passages because we want to see Jesus in this. And so it begins in verse 1. This is the institution of the Passover, or the instituting of it for the institution of worshiping God through sacrifice. And not just any sacrifice. It would have to be the best, the most special, the most flawless. It had to undergo a scrutiny of inspection by the priests. So it was a big deal to be presenting to the Lord the best of what you had, knowing that that animal that would be presented would represent you. It would be symbolic of the truth that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin, and the picture had to be picture perfect. It opens, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb. Let me repeat that. On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Every household would be required by the head of that household to render a lamb for a sacrifice. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbors next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the Lord or for the lamb. Verse 5 Your lamb shall be without blemish a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. It's an interesting word. But the timing has an advance for us of what the Gospels reveal to us. Twilight is the mid-degree between light and darkness. The mid-degree, or right in the middle, between light and darkness. It should sound a little familiar to you. In the Gospel of John... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Twilight, that midpoint by degrees between light and darkness. I want to direct your eyes as well to Psalm 37. And here, we read it in our morning devotions today, but I was comparatively inspired right now and picking it up in verse 5, and I think you'll see a linkage here, and we'll conclude in one more gospel account. Psalm 37, verses 5 through 6 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. The text we left back in Exodus required that every household commit their way to the Lord in obedience by presenting a lamb. And if by exception, because of their situation, a goat was acceptable. Later on, the idea of a goat would be recognized and actually is still kind of a euphemism to us as the scapegoat. Because if you couldn't present a lamb, you needed a way out, and Lord said, I'll give you a scapegoat. So perhaps some of you have found the treachery of men upon you, and you've been labeled as scapegoat. Somebody was looking to save their lamb chops, and they called you a scapegoat. In one degree or another, implying what was defined as twilight, the midpoint for us actually took place on a cross in which the Lamb of God was sacrificed. The important peek into that scripture is that it was at that time that we see also a bit of revelation here he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And I just felt the correlation was really becoming of the Lord. Bringing forth your righteousness as the light means by implication there is none righteous, no, not one. There is only one way in which that can be, in fact, brought to light. And that's through Jesus Christ, who declared himself to be the light of the world. Your justice as the noonday, what we understand historically about the crucifixion, and in particular of our Savior, is that beginning point about 9 a.m. in the morning and the endurance of him through a laborsome, painful, wretchful time on that cross, which at the midpoint would summon in the justice of God. Here's how. See, some would say, wait a minute, the, the judgment of God? Not on you not on those people. 
The justice of God means, as we've looked at before in Psalm 119, the fair and reasonable dealings of God upon us, not the wrath, not the judgment of God upon us, his fair and reasonable dealings towards us. And at the noonday, where we see this word, your justice as the noonday, the Father in heaven was making a pronouncement upon his Son, who in fact was being judged on our account, that justice would be availed to us in the form of reasonable and fair dealings by God. He would no longer look upon us as sinners. He would look at us through the offering of his Son as the Holy Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. It's pretty awesome. When we look back into another gospel account, if you'll join me here as well, and this is in Luke. The other was in John, John chapter 1. This is Luke, and it's going to be in the 23rd chapter, picking it up, very short verse, in verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. This would be three hours in. It would be the central point of the day, midpoint. Not twilight, that's coming. This is a different degree. For every degree, there's 3,600 seconds. I chose that because that equivalates to an hour. He'll be on the cross for an hour in which his righteousness acceptable to God because he was the sacrifice of the Father for us becomes our righteousness, our noonday's light when darkness, in fact, envelops the entire earth, the entire global community, not just Jerusalem, not just Golgotha, but the entire global community would be shrouded in darkness as God judges his son, that there might be justice for us. Why would he do that? Well, because we became, in essence, truly victims of our own arrogance. Adam and Eve goofed, one deceived, one disobedient, all of us as a result of that inherited the consequence of sin against God. And it was at that point that God made that supreme decision to cover them and to make provision which we see consummated on this particular event in which that sin which plunged the universe really into cataclysmic consequence would be rectified by a deliverance in which we pass from death, this closing tenure on earth, into heaven because of his son who took our place. Twilight becomes you, Lord. Twilight, that midpoint between light and darkness in which he would 
be judged in severity and is cloaked in darkness as what is alluded to his father turning his back on him, not able to look at sin. Then, verse 45, the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn into. You have a darkening that has occurred mysteriously at noon. You have now the sun seemingly shut down as the temple curtain that separated the holiest of holies from the central area where the priests would perform their duties of worship. It was the place where the ark would rest and only once a year could the high priest enter in for atonement for God's people. Symbolically on that day too, there would be a scapegoat that was released ceremonially. When that veil tore, and at this particular time, in the last breath of the Lord, it was indicative the sacrifice of his son took and access to him would no longer be restricted for one day each year by one that seemingly was an ambassador of perfection, but actually saying perfection has been received. The Lord's sacrifice took. Your righteousness is in him and breaks forth as the noonday. Jesus had cried, it says, out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. In six hours he had completed his mission, which he had determined to do resolutely, setting his chin as flint towards Jerusalem with the projection of an appointment that he would meet on a hill that we know as Calvary. The Romans called it Golgotha. Golgotha was a rock hill, boulders, in what would be the appearance of a skull. Jesus would be laid down on an altar of wood, which would be raised up and embedded, if you would, in a stone foundation. It's a picture of actually what the Jews would do in offering sacrifices to the Lord. They would build stones that they had collected. They would fit them together to a certain specification. And upon that would be wood that would be laid over it and the sacrifice upon it. Jesus, that sacrifice, laid on wood that in essence would be burned in the fire of judgment upon him. And we see that he breathes his last, committing his spirit to the Father. 
And notice the effect of this and what we need to see will be the effectual work of God, not only tonight, but also for what we do pray for this Sunday, all across the world, that this message becomes true. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man and the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. The rest of the sequence is presented in a different perspective in some of the other accounts. But the conclusion here is that because of that, one heathen was able to say, this man was a righteous man. And in essence, he's declaring he understands he is not. This centurion very likely was the participant in the execution. And having just contributed towards the demise of the Lord recognizes that this indeed was the Son of God. Very likely his life would never be the same. He would leave that mount a changed man. Presumptuous maybe, but very likely he would strip himself of the Roman uniform and take up a robe of righteousness as perhaps one of the latest and newest of disciples that would forge the community of believers that later on in the book of Acts would be described as Christians. And so I thought that would be a timely word for us. Actually, one of the first times that we've done what would be called a Good Friday service on a great Thursday midweek. So consider this, twilight becomes you. That midpoint by degrees. Degrees that even right now you're playing out and walking. 3,600 seconds. Sometimes, wow, we like the way that sounds. And sometimes you go, oh, shortened up. Okay, you got an hour. You got an hour. The degree is one hour. What are you going to do with that one hour? Jesus would say to his disciples, could you not pray with me for one hour? There'll be a time in heaven in which silence shall be for one hour. Isn't it? awesome that by degrees twilight was becoming for him every hour that he hung there twilight ultimately would become him for when the shroud of darkness hit it was pleasing the father to turn away from his son who became everything that we were worthy of judgment for and in that moment forgiven great picture in my opinion i'm going to pray we're going to welcome the worship band up here and conclude our service with that so take time to give thanks to the lord take time really in the conclusion of this service tonight to call upon the lord ask that people would come out of their tombs
would experience Resurrection Sunday would realize that the trumpet is going to blow. We have pictures of it in our Easter lilies, the fragrance that reminds us of a very special life that God has given to us to celebrate on the first day of the week, not the last. Let's make it everybody's first day of the week and the story that will be compelling to say, things have got to change. I got to change things by one degree. If I can just do that, then maybe things will change significantly. And as the psalmist declares, righteousness, justice as the noonday upon you.